0: What do you mean, no, I won't? Don't presume to tell me what I will and will not do. You don't know me.
1: Well, you would have done it already.
0: You're distracting me. Go away. I can't. I'm involved now. You let go, and I'm going to have to jump in there after you. Come on. Come on, give me your hand. You don't want to do this.
1: Jack Dawson. Rose else do we pick here? I have to get you to write that one down. <laughs> hey, this is Marty McFly, and you're listening to Hydrate Level 4 Presents Podstalgic, a film podcast on Core Temp Arts. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you telling me you built a time machine out of a podcast? Welcome to Podstalgic. This is a movie review podcast where we take a nostalgic look and rediscover movies new and old. And for this episode, we are doing a older movie, uh, anticipating the, I don't know, the 20th anniversary later on this year, we will be covering Titanic. And on this review, joining me is Chrissy from the So I Married a Movie Geek podcast. How are you doing, Chrissy?
0: Oh, Peter, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for having me to talk about what is arguably my favorite movie of all time.
1: That's awesome. I mean, uh, again, I want to thank you uh, for coming on to the show. You are your own woman, so I didn't have to ask Justin for permission. Uh, (laughs) And for those that don't know, Justin um, is your uh, co-host slash husband.
0: He's my long-suffering partner of So I Married a Movie Geek and and long-suffering husband now that I think about it.
1: Yes. (laughs) Um, And he has previously been on this show. Uh, He did Mannequin with me for the Was it the 30th anniversary? Holy smokes. So yeah, so he was on Mannequin, and now you're joining me for Titanic. A couple things that I want to get into, but before we do any of that, I wanted to give you the opportunity to tell the listeners about your guys' show for those that haven't checked it out yet.
0: Thanks, Peter. So So I Married a Movie Geek is a labor of love that Justin and I started the year we got married, which was 2009. So we've been doing this for quite some time. And the premise is it I've seen basically nothing in terms of popular movies, and he has seen everything. He's a walking encyclopedia of movies and movie knowledge, and he really wants me to be a part of his world. So for about two movies a week, we sit on our couch and we watch movies together that I've never seen, and then we review them on the podcast.
1: Ah, so he's Ariel, you're Prince Eric. He (laughs) wanted to be a part of your world. Or Did I get that right? Yeah. I think people get the reference. Yeah, yeah, he
0: he got on his rock. He wore his seashells and said, part of your world. And then there <laughs> I came, stumbling out of the ocean.
1: There we are. Uh, so obviously, uh, I think for anybody that's checked out your guys' show, know that uh, you are a big fan of this movie. Uh, I mentioned that this did come out uh, almost 20 years ago. It'll be 20 years later on this year. Yes. Uh, at the time the movie came out, Tell me if you know this, the number one song was uh, Candle in the Wind uh, slash Something About the Way You Look Tonight by Elton John. Your footsteps will always fall here along England's greenest hills. Your candles burned out long before. Your legend ever will. That was number one. Right. You do know that song, those
0: songs. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely.
1: Now, I do know that Candle in the Wind, it's uh, kind of a revival, I guess, of an older version of the song he did. But this, he re-released because of uh, Princess Diana's passing. Correct. You know, that happened just a few months prior. Now, the funny thing is, I don't recognize those songs at all. I, I listened to it, like, pre-recording. And I was like, none of either songs sound familiar at all.
0: Wow, really? That You don't have kind of like that, I don't think it's called an enigmatic device, but that sort of earworm where you hear it and then, oh, I remember where I was.
1: Not at all. Not at all. And that's, you know, I often say like, oh, maybe it's one of those songs. If I hear it, I, I would know. But I again, I went on YouTube. I listened to both songs. I go, I don't recognize any of them. And I kind of thought back like 1997, I was like, what, a freshman? And I feel like in Portland, we were just getting like a brand new hip hop station that was kind of promoting that they only play hip hop. And I wonder if that's why I might have missed out on this, because the previous number one song was Boys to Men's Four Seasons of Loneliness. And I, I remember that one.
0: Oh, I love that song.
1: It's a great song. Yes. It's a great song. And before that was Honey. So, Ra- um, Ra-Keri. Ra-Keri. yeah. So, you know, I obviously I knew the songs before those. And so that's what I was thinking, like, maybe I was just listening to this new hip-hop station that was new to Portland, and they didn't play Elton John. But obviously, I know Elton John. I mean, uh, you got your Lion King, you know, Mm -hmm. and obviously all his other stuff prior to that. So, um, does that song, like, bring any kind of memory to you, or those songs at all?
0: It it does, and unfortunately, probably not happy memories. I mean, we are talking about the passing of, untimely passing of Princess Diana. Uh, uh, You and I are about the same age, so I remember I was a preteen, and the news came about Princess Diana's car crash and her funeral uh, shortly thereafter. And then this song came out. And all I can think of are these images that they played over and over again of Prince William and Prince Harry, respectively, who were in mourning at the time of uh, what happened. And in in and of itself, in a vacuum, the song doesn't do much for me. But when you associate it with what I'm sure was a horrifically painful event both for a nation and for two young boys it really does uh, it gets to you especially if you're a parent and and i am now and to think about what that must be like to to lose a parent and the the heartache that the children must endure is really terrible and and on that note, actually, I don't know if you've heard this, but Prince Harry just came out talking about uh, mental health awareness because evidently he went through two decades worth of suffering and pain over what happened with his mom. And he, wow. yeah, he just went on record talking about how it just really messed him up. And uh, he's advocating for mental health care for uh, anybody and everybody who needs it, including children.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I did not hear that at all. That's recent news, you say.
0: Just came out, yeah.
1: Wow. Well, that's that's what uh, you get from the show. You learn things. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, you remember the song. I don't. But um, when Titanic came out, the other movies that released the same weekend was The Apostle. Uh, Apostle or Apostle? I don't remember that one. I, I can't pronounce words. Yeah. How about Mouse Hunt?
0: Sounds vaguely familiar. I was obsessed with Titanic, though, so I kind of pushed everything else out of my brain for a while.
1: Oh, sure. (laughs) Mouse Hunt might have taken the box office that weekend. I'm pretty sure. At opening Uh, weekend? (laughs) I'm joking. I was
0: going to say, hold on a second. (laughs) I'm going to grab my Titanic book. I
1: mean, come on. (laughs) No. And the other one was Tomorrow Never Dies, which is uh, one of the uh, James Bond movies. Tomorrow Never Dies. With
0: Pierce Uh, Brosnan.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to remember which Bond girl was in that one, but... They all kind of run t- together.
0: Oh yeah, they do. Was that a, they really do? I don't know Elizabeth Hurley? No, she was Austin Powers. I can't remember.
1: Actually, I think she was one. Was she? She she was definitely in the first Austin Powers, uh, which also came out this uh, the same year. But, I, gosh, yeah, I don't know. There, there was a lot of Bond girls. That's Hard true. To keep track. All yeah. Hottie
0: McHottersons. Pick one.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, which uh, do you have a favorite Bond?
0: I don't, to be honest with you. This is this is probably part of the reason we have a podcast, so we could, you know, watch these sort of movies. I'm pretty sure I saw Tomorrow Never Dies, but I couldn't tell you the other Bond movies that I have seen. I do feel, probably because it came out at a pivotal time, uh, that I was more invested in the image of Pierce Brosnan as Bond than I am any of the other Bonds both uh, predecessing and then after. So I, I think it's probably like a Brosnan affiliation I have in my head with Bond.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't know if I have. I have like the entire box set. I don't know if I have a favorite Bond just yet. I got through like four movies and kind of fell off. Need to get back to those. Daniel Craig. I like Daniel Craig a lot, actually. I've seen all of his, obviously. Um, probably That's seen great. most of Pierce Brosnan, and I've seen a lot of the uh, the Sean Connerys. I haven't gotten to the other guys yet, like Lazenby and uh, Roger Moore. Haven't seen them yet.
0: I haven't, obviously, either.
1: yeah Uh, okay so Titanic the movie that we are uh, here to talk about and uh, again I know you uh, thanked me for having you on the show I thank you for coming on the show because this I think was like a a great opportunity just because like in I'm, I'm approaching three years now that I've been podcasting and nobody's ever wanted to come on the show to talk about Titanic with me
0: what a sad state of affairs. Y'all are missing yeah. out people who didn't want to come on this show to talk about Titanic, but your loss is my gain.
1: Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, I've asked, uh, you know, a few people in the past and they're like, yeah, I, I don't like that movie. <gasps> and so that's the first question I want to ask you. Like, have you heard that? Like, like there's there's a, a population out there that really don't like this movie. What do you think
0: it is? I think they're jealous. No. I. You know, I've gone toe-to-toe with people who say, for whatever reason, that movie sucks, or I hate the love story, or it's only good when they start to drown. And I'm like, okay, well, clearly... <laughs> You were not paying attention because this was a movie that I feel changed the game for a a lot of people in terms of, of movie making. I mean, look at the special effects that James Cameron had at his disposal in the late 90s, especially 96 when they were really working on the digital stuff. It's pretty amazing for its time. And so even if you're not able to appreciate it for its script, which I admit has its weak parts, or mm. for certain aspects of the acting, at the very least, you have to appreciate it for the piece of movie making that it was. And I challenge anybody who says that they can't appreciate it for those values at the very least.
1: Yeah, for me, um, I, I totally understand that people weren't big on the acting of, you know, uh, Kate Winslet or even Leonardo DiCaprio. And like, I get that, like neither of them were nominated for anything, which is kind of, I think a rarity at the time when a movie is um, nominated and wins best picture that like none of the leads were even nominated for best acting, uh, which was very interesting to me. The reason why I love this movie, I'll go ahead and spoil it now. I I do love Titanic is because it's, I'm a big history uh, fan. I don't I don't know if I'll go as far as saying a history buff, but I am fascinated with, you know, mysteries. Um I host another show called We Got Five, where uh, one episode I did we um top five mysteries. You know, I didn't include. Uh, actually, I might have included Titanic. But, you know, um one of them, I mentioned Bermuda Triangle. You know, the the uh the thought of like planes and ships going down and just missing. And so Titanic wasn't far off from something like that and the very first time I've ever heard of the ship was back in seventh grade and it was in reading class and it's one of those things hey pick a book read it and then you know write about it and I went to the bookshelf and I just kind of like looked around and I saw this book and it had a sunken ship and it was I think it was all drawn too and just kind of flipped through it and it just kind of read like, wow, this ship went down. There was this meeting of people on it. And, you know, talked a little bit about how long it took them to find the ship, like in 1985 and all that. So I just got fascinated by that whole story. And then when the movie came out, I was like, I'm, I'm ready for this. Like I need this in my life.
0: Peter, you are speaking my language. I couldn't agree with you more. And I share your love for history. Uh, Particularly for some reason, I'm drawn to uh, disasters. I don't know why. Okay. <laughs> Go figure. But uh, even in school, I remember you know, we'd hear about Pompeii, and I'm like, whoa, Pompeii, what happened? So I, I kind of feel that way in general about, again, uh, disaster-related history. And I remember being a kid, And my mom telling me the story about Titanic long before I really had seen any media or read anything about it myself. And she just explained, hey, there was this ship where there were haves and there were have-nots. And all of the have-nots perished uh, in what was the worst maritime disaster of its time. And I was just in awe, in a terrible way, of course, but in awe of how something like that could come to fruition and how we could we let so many people lose their lives? And why was it, you know, the have nots? And so I was interested from a very young age. And when I knew that they were making this movie, um, I, oh, my gosh, I just lost it. I, I downloaded the script in early 1996 and read it all. And I was that nerd who on her, you know, Packard Bell desktop at home, was desperately trying to find like, uh, junket interviews and anything I could, and I'm downloading it on QuickTime and storing it. It took like three days to download anything. I, I I was voracious for anything related to this movie way before it even came out.
1: Yeah, I was kind of the same way, but I feel that um, I probably didn't seek out like much of uh, any other supplemental material until like after the movie's release. Um, I've watched countless documentaries. Uh, I have like the 100th anniversary, some kind of documentary release. I haven't even opened yet, uh, which is a little sad. But um, (laughs) I watched a bunch of the special features. Uh, I saw the movie three times when it came out. Three times. And the song, My Heart Goes On by Celine Dion. My Heart um, Will Go On? My Heart heart Will Go On. I'm sorry. That's okay. We, We sang that in choir. Oh, did you? Yeah, we sung that in choir. So I felt like I've never gotten sick of that song because I've enjoyed every song we sung. And so I don't know. I, I know some people, they're sick of, the, you know, sick of hearing it. But for me, anytime, you know, the music starts, even the instrumental, it takes me back to my early high school years, um, you know, a more innocent time and just having a good time in choir singing the song.
0: What what parts did you play in choir were you? I'm guessing you were a tenor or a baritone.
1: I was actually a bass. Were you really? I was actually a bass, yeah.
0: How funny. Yeah,
1: you wouldn't guess, right? No. Like I, I feel I feel like I probably should have been a baritone, but uh, if you think about it, I think you know, for young men, there not a whole lot of people really have deep voices. True. So even like, you know, like an actual men baritone was probably like a kid's bass.
0: Don't get me wrong. You've got a very smooth sort of like radio velvety voice, so it makes sense oh. that you were singing well, bass you. parts in choir. It's, I'm I'm very it's not Justin's proud of you. voice, but
1: no, yeah. <laughs> no, that's a nice voice there.
0: Not everybody can have that sweet southern drawl that Justin has. Let's be honest. Yeah,
1: yeah. I I wish I had a bit of a southern draw. I mean, I was born in Texas, but I was raised in Portland, so I don't I don't think I have a, a little southern accent at all
0: well you guys are kind of reversed justin was actually born in portland but he was raised in the south not texas but north carolina
1: right yeah that's right
0: oh yeah i know
1: have... uh, our teams uh played against each other in the final Four.
0: Oh, that's right
1: yeah so sorry about you're that <laughs> yeah hey hey if you want to win get those rebounds gotta get those rebounds
0: clearly oh before yeah. i forget So earlier and this has been talk about earworms like we were with songs like We know What Sticks in Your Brain. Um, earlier you said, I you know, not everybody likes this movie because well the acting isn't on point and nobody was really nominated for Oscars. And I was like, hold up a second. Yeah, they were. Kate Winslet was nominated for Best Actress. She lost, but she was nominated. Oh, right? She was, because when you said that, I suddenly remembered, because I remember her outfit. This is how obsessed I was. She had like a green outfit and her hair was kind of blondish curled. And I was like, why do I have this image of Kate Winslet in my head? Was she nominated? She was. And I looked it up. She was. Um, oh, she was. because yeah. you looked it up. And Gloria Stewart was nominated for uh, Best Supporting Actress. So
1: what? what is it that I... I, I leah was not nominated. Leah mis- was something. shut out. So, yeah, maybe that's what it is. Maybe I just kind of um, heard like the whole Leo deal and associated everybody with it. But you're right. I mean, uh, Gloria, Gloria, what's her name again?
0: Gloria the, the Stewart.
1: Stewart. she was amazing. She was she incredible. Was pretty good. And they
0: had to put so much body makeup on her to age her. Yeah. Approximately at the time, I think it, they said 20 years. And they would put her in, you know, the age spots all over her skin. And she would just sit on set and look at her own arms and be like, God, if I ever look like this, just shoot me.
1: Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the cast. We've already teased a few of them. Um, obviously this movie came out, uh, December 19th, 1997, written and directed by, uh, James Cameron, starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Jack, Kate Winslet as Rose, Billy Zane as Cal, Kathy Bates as Molly Brown, uh, Bill Paxton as Brock, who is a, uh, the captain of a ship in the modern time. Uh, who else do we want to talk about?
0: Susie Amos, who James Cameron is now married to in real life, but played uh, Gloria the Stewart's granddaughter. granddaughter. Yeah. Right. You, you, there were a bunch of cameos, too, throughout this There's thing. There's
1: a lot of people in this movie. A lot of people. Uh, one, one, I do want to point out, uh, Victor Garber plays Thomas Andrews, who is the man who um, designed, what, yeah. designed the ship. Designed yeah, he the designed the ship. ship. And then a... Uh, a postalgic alum here, I guess we can call him, I'm trying to find his name, Jonathan Hyde, uh, who was in Jumanji, uh, which I also covered. He plays Bruce Ismay. Ismay. He's the man who is credited as coming up the name Titanic, and uh, we'll get into, you know, possibly what other role he played in um, The Night in Question here. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, (laughs) I wanted to throw out another nerdy uh, fact about me, I guess, for the 100th anniversary, the movie was re-released in 3D. James Cameron spent a lot of money and a lot of time getting this right. And I was probably one of 20 people that was sitting in this IMAX 3D theater uh, watching it.
0: I was one of the 21, too.
1: <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. I Nobody else wanted to go with me. It's kind of the same of thing as... Yeah, my my wife didn't go with me, and she felt bad, because she knew that this was one of my favorite movies, And but, you know, kids, right? Yeah, they get in the yeah. way.
0: They're lovely, they, but they get in the a way. Little
1: bit, a little bit. A little bit. Actually, I think she was pregnant at the time. I I was pregnant at the segment. time,
0: and I forced my onboard child to just come with me.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're going to listen to some good music and some James <laughs> Horner.
0: <laughs> yeah. James Horner? Yeah, it, James Horner, for sure.
1: Yeah, so I, I watched it, and wasn't it just magnificent mm. on the screen, like... It was important to James Cameron to bring the people that, uh, helped recreate the ship in real life, come work on the 3D translation because they knew the, the measurements and all that good stuff. And watching it in the theater in 3D, it gives you like a real sense of like how big the ship actually was. But I also kind of liked how, uh, it, it seemed like we were like swimming underwater too, like during the scenes where you get to see like the old Titanic underwater.
0: It was the ship of dreams. You know, nobody has a greater attention to detail than James Cameron, in my opinion. But I I think that's a pretty safe bet. And when the 3D movie came out, I remember wondering, going into the theater, how are they going to make this better? you know, than than the original release, especially because it wasn't shot in 3D. This is obviously an effort to take the post and turn it into 3D. So I was really kind of hesitant to see how it would go. But I I really do feel, especially in the latter third of the movie, uh, when the ship is sinking, obviously, that the 3D lent itself so well to the different effects. I mean, Everybody knows Propeller Guy, am I right? Propeller yo, Guy, oh yeah, yo, yeah mm-hmm. who who uh, jumps off the bow of the ship and then basically goes, bunk and then swirls all the way down. And when mm-hmm. you see that in 3D, I don't care who you are, you grab your partner's leg or your own leg and you go <gasps> as yeah. you're watching it because that's it's un it's just unreal in in 3D. It definitely added to it for sure.
1: Yeah, it really did. So, um, yeah. I wish I could have shared that experience with someone, but yeah, I, I was really immersed into the, into the 3D and it did it so well. Probably the last one I really enjoyed in 3D. I I think 3D is kind of a little overrated now.
0: Absolutely. It, yeah. It's a gimmick, you know, and it makes it so you're going to pay $17 a ticket. So I get why people do it. You know, don't hate the play. I hate the game. But right. yeah, but at least if you're going to apply it to a movie, apply it to something that makes sense. Not sing. I saw sing with my four and a half year old daughter and it was in 3D. And at one point I chucked the glasses. I'm like, what am I doing here? What am I doing with my life? Why is this in 3D? It doesn't need to be in 3D.
1: I think I think we saw trolls in 3D. And I was like, we we didn't need to. <laughs> That was a decent movie. It's all right. It's not bad. Um, so this movie, what what was it for you? Was it was it Leo? Were you at the age where you're like, he's super hot?
0: Well
1: the, the storytelling, so, the was it Billy Zane?
0: I mean, okay. I struggle to to answer your question, Peter, not because I don't want to be objective, but because I'm always afraid that if I start to discuss my love for Leo, that it colors the lens of anybody and everybody listening to me because immediately they hear, oh, well, she's a huge Leo fan. Like, okay, we're going to write this off now. Bye-bye. And yes, it's true. I do love Leonardo DiCaprio. And I was right in that perfect age pocket of those teenage girls who were just going gaga crazy over Leo. My my room, I don't know if I should say I'm ashamed to say, because I'm also semi-proud of it, but, all right, I'm shamed, to say was just covered wall-to-wall in Leonardo DiCaprio, and I could tell you about every poster. It was that level of crazy. So, yes, he was the impetus, in addition to my love for history, so it was kind of the perfect storm. Uh, But upon my first viewing, which I was lucky enough to go to a screening of it before it actually premiered, because old school, I rode into a radio station and won tickets. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool, actually. But once I saw it for the first time, even though Leo still had my heart, I was so blown away by the other elements of the movie, like I alluded to earlier, just quality movie making. But also, Kate Winslet at the time she was a she was a nobody. She was such a revelation to me that I immediately went home and rented Heavenly Creatures, which was like her first feature film, and watched it, and then worked my way up through all of the Kate Winslet um filmography so it it, yeah leo got me in he was like my gateway drug and then it grew from there and i just every the cool thing about titanic i feel like is every avenue you turn is a rabbit hole like you could go down the kate winslet rabbit hole you could go down the victor garber rabbit hole you could go and look at every james cameron movie he's ever made rabbit hole like it's just endless because there's everybody who worked on this film was quality and everywhere you look it was it just i just feel like there was just so many different places i don't know about you peter but to this day when i watch titanic i notice something i never noticed before which sounds crazy but i do even if it's tiny i'll just look at the screen and go huh i never noticed noticed that yeah Yeah, i never noticed that before and i saw titanic 14 times in the movie theater not including 3D. Wow. Wow, wow, wow.
1: <laughs> Holy smokes. Okay, that trumps my three. Uh, wow. I, I'm st- trying oh, to get my head wrapped around that. yeah. Um that's a lot
0: well my parents <laughs> supported it because I mean wouldn't you rather if you had a teenage girl who was not yet driving wouldn't you rather just drive her and her girlfriends to the movie theater where you knew they were safe and they weren't getting into trouble you know as opposed to doing something maybe they shouldn't so it was an easy out for them man. they were just like sure she's gonna be gone for three hours and 17 minutes awesome and it just like kick me out to the curb and I'd go and stalk the movie theater so I get it
1: that's a good point yeah that's a good point um yeah you mentioned like there's a lot of things to um really enjoy about this movie it's it's a great balance of everything i mean uh the, the score and the music itself um you got the underwater stuff and you got the the storytelling by old rose and then you know like our main story which takes place back in 1912 um for me, like, what I really enjoyed about this movie is the love story between Rose and, and Leo. Like, I know Leo is from Chippewa Falls, but the way it kind of comes off is is that he's kind of going back to the U.S. But I always kind of looked at it as, um, I, I guess, for the most part, a lot of the immigrants are going to the U.S. to kind of start a new life. Yeah, better you life. Know, to a better life for themselves. And, like, me being Asian, my, my family came to the U.S., To better their lives. And so I've always kind of gravitated towards stories like that, you know, like um, American Tale, you know, with Fievel and his family. Very similar, very similar. So I've always kind of liked that. And just the idea of Jack being a nobody, just an artist who spent um, some time in France and It was able to catch the eye of this wealthy young woman who ends up loving him for him. And, you know, kind of like Aladdin, where Jasmine falls in love with a street rat. You know, Aladdin Aladdin was a nobody. So it's like that. I've always liked stories like that. You don't have to come from money to fall in love.
0: I couldn't agree with you more yet again. And, and I always root for an underdog. I just do. So even before we knew anything about Jack Dawson, just at the poker, you know, match that he had between um, uh, Boris and Sven, and, and you know, I mean, you're rooting for him right away. You, you know he doesn't have, as he says to Fabrizio, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. So right. so you know that about him right away, right off the bat. And you're rooting for him. He, and the, just the euphoria that he feel, feels the minute he wins and he's making his way to the ship. Uh, it's just so cool. And I'm sure, uh, actually a pretty good testament to how many people felt like that at the time. Which makes it all the much sadder to know how it ended up for so many. They thought they were going on to a better life. And look what happens.
1: Yeah. I um did a little research, and for for the the tickets that he won, uh, in 2017 currency, it would equate to somewhere around 785 dollars for one Jeez. adult.
0: Wait for a yeah, third class so ticket.
1: For a third class ticket, wow,
0: 785
1: dollars. I, I didn't even bother to look at the others because I'm sure it'd be a lot more, obviously, in in the thousands and to think like cal and rose they had like an entire suite to themselves it was like a like a like a freaking apartment uh basically they had
0: three rooms b52 54 and 56
1: look at you (laughs) look at you i would never play trivia against you for titanic for sure just for
0: this one thing it's my we all have like our one thing i guess and and other people like justin in particular are are lucky enough and brainy enough to have like 17 things i got this one that's all i got
1: yeah hey you know it's a good thing to have um Do you were you able to uh, like relate to Rose, or was it just a love story that you um, that you fell in love with?
0: Let's be honest, Te- teenage angst hits everybody, no matter what your family or life circumstances. So, I was nowhere near as well off as Rose, but who is? Uh, but to watch her struggle against a life that she didn't want for herself, that she was thrown into, that she felt like she was. To quote her, standing at a precipice, screaming at the top of her lungs, and no one even looks up. That was a line that stuck with me right through the heart. And as a young teenager, you feel misunderstood. Even if you have good relationships with your friends and your parents, there's just... I think for most of us, a feeling that you are somewhat of an outsider looking in. You haven't found your niche yet. You will in time. Turns out, Chrissy, it, you will find your niche. But at the time, I wasn't there. So to watch her struggle against this, it, it was, she spoke to every teenage girl everywhere who felt that way. And you could, you could point to her and relate and say, I I get that. I know what it's like to feel like you're you're just suffocating and nobody even looks up like you just feel and look like you're fine. Everything's fine and you go along with it but inside you're screaming. So uh, that that is the quintessential young girl teenage experience of not fitting in. And um, I appreciated how understated she actually played it. The only time she really ever came unglued before the ship starts sinking, of course, is when she's about to jump off. But the quiet reservation, and you can see the anger in her eyes and how she is not ready to yield to this life, but she does. It's just a quiet apprehension and anger beneath her porcelain surface. And it was really cool um, acting choice by Kate Winslet, I felt.
1: And, um, before she decides to jump on the back of the ship, it, it's, um, it's when, weren't they having lunch with, uh, Bruce Ismay and the whole talk about, like, Dr. Freud and all that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do great you know scene, Dr. too. Freud, got a, Mr. got a great chuckle. <laughs> what, who is that? Is he, uh, is he a passenger? <laughs> Jonathan Hyde played it really well. I, I, I really like that scene. Um, Fabrizio. Now, Aww. Danny Nucci, I knew him originally from Quantum Leap. He was on an episode of Quantum Leap, and I saw him in things uh you know here and there kind of growing up. Do you think it could have worked if Jack Dawson was Fabrizio, for example? <clears throat> Maybe not for you because he's <laughs> not Neo. <laughs> I
0: I'm I'm really torn on my feelings about Fabrizio specifically. And It's funny because this was another rabbit hole, obviously, that I went down and I remember researching about Danny Nucci. Like, who is he? What has he done? Apparently, he had worked with Leo before on something. It might have been growing pains, actually. But uh, I was rooting for him. And now that I'm older, this is like the one thing out of all the things in Titanic, this is probably the one thing that I look back when I see it now and I go, Ah, oh, Fabrizio, like maybe we could have cut you out sooner. Maybe you could have like during the king of the world, just like accidentally fallen off the ship and like Jack had have been really <laughs> sad about it. And that could have been another reason for him to find comfort in Kate Winslet. I don't know. But there was just something, whereas everyone else I felt had an understated performance his was like jack what are you talking about like let's go to the other side of the ship and you're just like right oh boy <laughs> i'm
1: i'm trying to think like danny nucci um he's he's like he's austrian you know so Is i he? wonder he's austrian now, at least born in austria or something i um you know i don't i don't know i mean nucci sounds italian but it's kind of what i looked italian. up and so i i I don't think he has that actual accent. So maybe it's just him, you know, not quite pulling it off. I don't know. But yeah, hindsight, like, you know, we kind of get him early on and then you see him a couple times derail. Like I feel, uh, Tommy Ryan has just almost the same amount of like scenes, like after we actually meet Fab- Fabricio. So. It was kind of interesting. Like, I feel he needed to be introduced for that King of the World scene to kind of work. Because, I mean, I don't know. Could you imagine, like, uh, Jack by himself? You know, just shouting it out to, to Norman? I mean, I guess it maybe could have.
0: He was so full of life. And he was so... He, I've I've heard Leo do a lot of interviews about playing this character. And one of the reasons he chose the role of Jack Dawson was because he said this was the first person I've ever played that was just like a genuinely happy, to quote him, son of a bitch. Like he was just yeah. genuinely happy, which he'd, he'd always played these very troubled characters. So knowing that that's how Leo approached the role, and I think how it came across... I don't know. I feel like maybe he didn't need Fabrizio. He did in the beginning. He did in the beginning for winning his ticket. And, you know, they're all excited to be besties aboard the ship. But long term, he didn't. And actually, I think James Cameron probably knew it, too, because there were Mm. many scenes that were shot that included Fabrizio having a secondary love interest with Helga. Whom you see at the end, she's the blonde girl who's hanging on for dear life, and she lets go and she drops down the length of the ship. Uh, but there was plenty of of things that were filmed with Helga and um, Fabrizio telling their story, and they were supposed to be almost like the the wing man and woman to Jack and Rose. and And Cameron cut a lot of it, so I think he he kind of knew in his heart of hearts yeah. that you know Fabrizio had a purpose, but maybe not a long shelf life.
1: Yeah, I mean, the movie's long enough. I'm not sure why you'd have two love stories. So, yeah, that is really interesting. Uh, What do you think of Cal here as um, Rose's uh, husband-to-be here? Uh, You know, comes from money, uh, is very, all types of things, really. Um, Narcissistic, vain.
0: Pardon me for saying, but in my opinion, and nobody has to agree with me, but he's like the Trump of the Victorian era and yep. and very uh comes from money and knows what he wants and how he wants it and when he wants it and when he doesn't get his way is uh temperamental dare i say fiery and you know um not exactly a pleasant person to be around that being said god do i love billy zane and i can't believe that i didn't know any of billy zane's work before this movie came out because He's so good and he's so detestable, but not in a way that is like um you know in the in the 20s when they had uh, before we had talkies, they had the, the mustache you twirl the mustache right. and you know he's just evil. Not like that, just cuz there is something beneath all of that I I felt likable about Cal, particularly in the scene where he gives Rose the heart of the ocean. And he says, there's nothing I wouldn't give you. There's nothing I would deny you. Yes, he then says, if you would not deny me. But there was a vulnerability there that that shows that he does have a heart. He does have one, but it is it is buried <laughs> under yeah. layers and layers of, of cash and control.
1: Yeah, that heart. Oh gosh, I, I did look it up to see how much it would have been worth, you know, based on that time, but I don't know, obviously a lot of money. Yes. But Billy Zane, I yeah, uh, I knew him, you know, before I saw him in Titanic, I saw him, you know, in the Back to the Future movies and also Only You, uh, with Robert Downey Jr. I've and Rosa Tomei. Yeah, so only yeah, only you. He was in that. And then I saw him in this. And then I saw Twin Peaks way later, and it was really hard to not take him seriously in Twin Peaks, but it's just like, you're Cal. <laughs> like, you know, I, I couldn't see him as anything else. I, I really wanted to give his character a chance in Twin Peaks. But I'm just like, no, nope, that's the last thing I remember you is Cal. And that's that's who you're going to be. Um, Hard to and trust he was supposed him. to be like a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Especially, well, I think he was wearing a hairpiece for Titanic. And his, his his brows were just, well, they were on point, shall we say. So yes. so, it's funny to to see him now, you know, without the hairpiece and without the the very expressive brows. Because I, although I hear you, I do feel like he doesn't look quite the same. So he loses a bit of the Cal-ness for me. That I, I'm able to kind of let him be somebody else. But in the back of my head, I'm like, oh, it's Cal, and I get all excited.
1: Did you ever see Phantom? I think he did that one too. We huh? did
0: that for the podcast.
1: Ah, yeah. I'm have to go back and you, check that out. Yeah. I did see that in theater. I don't remember what year it came out, but... Okay. (laughs) Um, What about some of the other supporting characters? Uh, One of the ones I mentioned earlier was uh, Victor Garb, Um, Garber? Mm -hmm. Garber. Garber. Yeah, who uh, plays... um,
0: Mastership builder Thomas Andrews.
1: Mr. Andrews. Yeah. So... I like his character because uh, he's the one that tells us everything about the ship. Um, obviously, Rose is the one that kind of points out that there's not enough... Uh, Lifeboats. Lifeboats, thank you. You're welcome. Um, yeah, so she, she, she can math, that
0: girl.
1: <laughs> she, she can. She can math. And, yeah, she can math. And I guess I read somewhere that the reason... I mean, I, they might have said it in the movie too, but it's because they wanted the deck to be bigger, right? That's why they didn't have... As many to yes. accommodate accommodate the, well, um, all the passengers. And,
0: and I can't believe I'm defending the White Star Line here. But the White Star Line was under the impression that they were building an unsinkable ship. So right. if you think that, that that's your reality, you know, it's when other people start worrying about the luxurious aspects of the ship, i.e. deck space, uh, you know, people acquiesce it obviously went, came back to bite them, so that was not a good choice. But uh, yeah, they they didn't want to have the uh, the deck space taken up, and to my knowledge, there were no regulations of the day, either in Southampton, where Titanic was built, um, or actually it was built in Ireland, but sailed out of Southampton, or in the United States, where it was headed. So without regulations stipulating that you had to have a, a significant or a, um, an exact, anyway, number of lifeboats aboard. They just kind of did what they wanted. But my understanding is that after this awful disaster, that that's what helped create some regulations, and it changed the scope of uh, how uh, both White Star Line and Cunard and all the other um, carriers operated. and they increased their lifeboats as a result of what happened.
1: Um, the uh, I guess we haven't talked too much about like the the present time in the movie, which at the time was '96, right? Yes. What do you think about all of that—the chase after the uh, heart of the ocean—and um, reason I bring it up because also you know earlier this year we lost uh, Bill Paxton, you oh. know, who is a James Cameron favorite uh, yeah. in in all his movies.
0: It's a shame, and I, I you know, I. I've always appreciated every aspect of this movie. Don't get me wrong. But I probably appreciated the, I guess you call it modern, because now it's 2017, but I'm like, for the time, modern. Uh, You know, pieces less than I appreciated the historical uh, stuff. In fact, when I had the VHS copy, you know, on two tapes, I would sometimes, not every time, but I would sometimes just fast forward and I would go straight to when it becomes the ship of dreams and, you know, everything up until it sinks and then I'd be kind of done. But... Now that I'm older and I look back on it, it's it provides a great framework for context and understanding of what happened because uh, people like uh, Bodine, which is the right hand man to Brock Lovett's character, Bill Paxton, the guy he, he has the big smiley face shirt with the gun. Um, what's it called? The the wound
1: in, the, in like he talks about the the big ass. Her yeah. her ass is in the air. Her ass yeah. is in the I air. See. Her
0: whole ass is sticking up, and that's a big <laughs> ass. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, he he was kind of a, a perfect foil for audience who doesn't necessarily get to act or understand anything about the the significance of, of the loss of life or what happened because, I mean, like we just established at the beginning of this podcast, we talked to people who are like, meh, whatever, about this movie. And I'm like, but hold on, these are actual, yeah, it's a movie, but real people who died and it's really sad. Yeah. So he provided a great person and um, backdrop to have somebody like Rose explain the significance of what it really meant. Do I think that they probably hit us a little bit too heavy over the head with it, especially towards the end when it's arguably incredibly sad, but, uh, you know, he says, uh, Brock Lovett says something to her, like, you know, I didn't know, or I didn't realize. And, you know, she just kind of placates him and says like, you know, yes, I know. But it's, it's, I don't know that that part. I'm like, "Mm, okay, but everything else about the the historical context of looking back on what happened uh, does resonate and provides good framework. Do you agree or could you do without it?
1: Uh, I like it a lot. Um, I would be curious to watch like a version without any of that, you know, and just Mm -hmm. watch like all the 1912 stuff. Uh, What I like about it is seeing the underwater quest or journey to find uh, the the titanic and and them playing with a little droid in the water to flip things over Snoop. so i, I kind of like oh yeah so i like all of that stuff and um i don't know i i think it's kind of nice to kind of break away uh from the the storytelling by Rose you know uh every now and again because then we get a little bit of levity from some of the characters you know the little uh comedic um lines here and there but you know, even in 1912, we get some of that too. Rose has a bunch of scenes uh, that work really well. Even Leo, you know, playing the the part of a poor man uh, amongst the rich, you know, when he is invited to come to dinner and all of that. And The point where he's sitting around all of them and cal asks him to kind of recount oh how did this happen or maybe it was actually more so um you know tell us your story you know it was
0: really more francis fisher she was playing the instigator of you know and tell us of your accommodations and steerage mr dawson yes the mother and where exactly do you live mr dawson
1: well right now my address is the rms titanic after that i'm on god's good humor
0: and how is it you have means to travel
1: I work my way from place to place. You know, tramp steamers and such. But I won my ticket on Titanic here at a lucky-handed poker. A very
0: lucky hand. Mm. All life is a game of luck. Mm. A real man makes his own luck, Archie. Right, Dawson? Hmm. And you find that sort of rootless existence appealing, do you?
1: Well, yes, ma'am, I do. I mean, I've got everything I need right here with me. Got air in my lungs and a few blank sheets of paper. I mean, I love waking up in the morning not knowing what's going to happen or who I'm going to meet, or where I'm going to wind up. Just the other night, I was sleeping under a bridge, and now here I am on the grandest ship in the world having champagne with you fine people. I'll take some of that. Oh, gosh. The mother was quite the bee. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I don't like the word so I don't I don't say that's it. That's um, totally okay. But uh yeah and I I just like Leo because he uh obviously he's not home trained. He has no table manners. He's like touching his face and all these things oh, that he's not that, like too. speaking really politely. So I just uh I I like all that cuz it's funny, you know, and um it's just like yeah, that's that's right. He he doesn't know any better. And to him it's like it's not a big deal, but everyone else, you know, they'd be like stop touching your face or take your elbows off the table. So I really like all that. But
0: for not knowing better, he wasn't a total cretin. He still answered every question. A lot of times he was even, dare I say, quick in in his sort of comebacks. You know, when she asks the steerage question, he doesn't even blink. Well, I guess he does, but that's it. That's as as much as he does. He just kind of blinks at her and says, the best I've seen, ma'am, hardly any rats. So, you know, he, even though, yes, you're, and I noticed, you're funny, you're right about the finger touching his face and all, and the hunk of bread while he's talking. He he doesn't have any (laughs) of the manners that they had of the Edwardian era, certainly not. But he handles himself well. And he makes everybody, with the exception of Cal and um, Ruth, Rose's mom, feel at ease. You could see they they were all very light and jovial with him until they found out he was steerage. And then they kind of went, ooh, and suddenly they felt very liberal for the era and then he, mm-hmm. he puts them at ease again and, and, well with the again the exception of the two snobbies so uh, it's funny that you bring that up because yes i totally agree with you and yet he did have this great quality of him of doing that um there was another point what was it oh the point when, when he
1: threw the m- matches yes
0: or? yes oh here you go cal and he just throws <laughs> it across the table. Um, yeah, because
1: Cal's like, you know, he's like uh, patting himself or waiting or looking for some matches or something. I, yes. I like that. That's, you know, those, those uh, subtle details that Cameron throws into the script, those I appreciate.
0: And I think that, you know, some of the credit has to be given to Molly Brown because she was an actual person who went on the Titanic and by all accounts was this very fun body woman who does not come for money but finds money. She's obviously new money. And, uh, she, but she also shares that quality of making people feel at ease despite circumstance or, you know, a lack of proper breeding. So she is a wonderful kind of catalyst for bringing Jack along and almost speaking for him or at least standing with him as he goes through these things. Were it not for Molly Brown, he wouldn't have gotten as far as he did.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. She even gives him the suit that he wears. Mm -hmm. Um, I like the part where uh, earlier when they're having that lunch with Bruce Ismay and Cal orders, you know, the lamb for them with some mint sauce, and she's like,
0: Mm. "We'll both have the lamb rare with very little mint sauce, eh? right? You like lamb, right, Sweet Pea?" Sausage. you gonna cut her meat for two there, Cal? (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, so that, that's a good one. I mean, yeah, yeah, a, a lot of great lines in this one. Um, even and this isn't even a line, but it's it's a part where we kind of transition back to old Rose telling the story, and like uh, you got like the entire crew of the ship, including her granddaughter, who's just staring, you know, um, kind of just listening to the story. I remember a huge chuckle amongst the audience in the theater uh, during that scene. Um, what about the the famous? drawing scene oh drawing uh, rose nude there mean. um you know like i i I'm not, i don't have that cliche where i wore the tape out for that scene like it's <laughs> a very lovely scene it's fine but um well, you
0: seem like an upstanding guy peter so i don't expect that of oh, you. Yeah,
1: hey, i try
0: yeah i mean clearly but and it was very artistic in in terms of how they filmed it Fun fact, I don't know if you know this, but this was the first scene that Kate Winslet and Leonardo DiCaprio filmed together. Uh, And to break the ice, apparently on set, she took uh, Leo aside, Kate, and she just flashed him. And she was like, here you go. Whoop, you've seen the goods. Okay, now we're going to do this. And then when they filmed it, uh, Leo makes an honest mistake. And he says, over on the bed. And then he corrects himself and says, the couch. That was not written in the script. That was Leo flubbing the line because he was overwhelmed with Kate Winslet being naked right in front of him. So, yep. yeah, it, it's, it's, it's funny because, um, I mean, I, I do feel like that scene is a beautiful scene, even though Leo didn't do the drawing and it was James Cameron's hand. That's okay, we'll right. excuse it. was um, is
1: left-handed as, as opposed to right, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's true, you're right. There was a lot of flopping, though, in this movie. They filmed a lot of scenes flopped, but I digress. So... After this movie came out, uh, my mom got me a present, which I'm about to reveal to you. Check this out.
1: Wow. Did she go underwater to get that herself? (laughs) She
0: did. So so I have a (coughs) replica of the heart of the ocean. And uh, I have had it since... Gosh, going on to what, 20 years? I guess so.
1: Wow. So she that year. Wow. Yeah. So that is awesome. So
0: I thought I was the coolest girl in the world when I would go to school wearing, like, let's say a V neck because I was still a classy girl. So, like, a V neck, but like wearing my heart of the ocean. And I didn't even take it ironically when people be like, oh, you're drawing like one of your French girls. I'd be like, yes, I know. Isn't it beautiful?
1: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Do you go ice skating on that at all? (laughs)
0: Haven't yet, but I probably should.
1: Yeah, that's that's an awesome a memorabilia to have uh, of the movie. That's like the flux capacitor, you know, from Back to the Future. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's, you know, synonymous with the movie. Um, one of the things that I have like a tie to with this movie, the date that the drawing was drawn mm-hmm. is the is actually my anniversary date. So four fourteen.
0: Whoa, congratulations. Yeah, thanks.
1: Yeah, so that wasn't even intentional. So when my wife and I first started dating, it was what the ninetieth anniversary? Ninety fifth? I can't math.
0: <laughs> I can't math either. So, math isn't
1: 90th. It was the ninetieth anniversary. Uh, the, the the night we hooked wow. up. Wow. So. So, I have that too. Uh, I never told her, like, oh, that's the time of the ship, you know, whatever. So,
0: <laughs> You're not a good omen.
1: She, you know, she, she thinks the movie's fine, but I don't think, like, she she's not really a movie person anyway. Um, but I always think that's kind of cool when I watch it and I see, you know, uh, James Cameron's hand right for 14, 1912. I'm like, hey, or April 14th. I'm like, that's, right. that's our anniversary date. So, that so should that's be a cool. huge
0: feather in your cap. I mean, and don't think about it as, you know, oh, well, the ship sinks. Think about it as like this was the day they cemented their relationship, that they decided that they were going to get off in New York together. So I think that's a really cool omen that that's your anniversary. And by the way, because we're recording like right on this date or close to it, I can't remember what date is. Is it the 14th or is it the 15th? 17th. 17th. What day is it? But congratulations on your anniversary, Peter. That's awesome. Thank
1: you. Thank you. Yeah, 15 long years. Um, so I guess when I went to go watch it in 3D, it was our 10th anniversary uh, week or whatever. So and I, I guess that's also more for her to feel bad not joining me, you know, uh, but I was like, I really want to watch this. And <laughs> so I'm just going to go. <laughs> and so, yep, um, I own it on 3D as well.
0: Do you really? Oh, I'm I do. Jealous. Yeah.
1: That's yeah, awesome. yeah, yeah. So I own it um I own it. I own two Blu-rays, uh, uh two DVDs and one 3D disc. Um you know, I've bought variations of it. Right. I once owned the VHS obviously and once I replaced it, I don't, I don't know where that that went. Um do you have any thoughts on the last I don't know hour of the movie where the ship goes down? I think one of the scenes that always stuck out is when uh Jack had been uh cuffed you know, to the, the pipe. Pole. Yeah, the pole. And I really love the part where she, uh, uh, Rose, finds the the axe. And he's like, hey, you know, why don't you take a practice swing over there? And great. Now now hit the same spot again. Okay, well, th- I think that's uh, enough practice. So <laughs> <laughs> this is just well written because it's like, yeah, you know, in a moment like that, you have no time to waste. You're just like. Ah, oh, screw it! Right. Hey, just take a swing. I might
0: lose a, a hand, but I might also drown. So let's yes. just do this thing. And the funny thing is, I don't know if if when you had the VHS copy of uh the movie, because I certainly did this with my own VHS. I rewound it and like paused it frame by frame to see where she hits the axe into the uh, it's like a chest of drawers, and uh and then where she hits it again, and. I mean, obviously, it's a good like four or five inches apart.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not even close. Not even close.
0: <laughs> and then when she goes to to hit the actual uh, cuffs, that's another one that I nerdily was like, ooh, pause, and then played it, played it, played uh-huh. it, played it. She doesn't actually hit anywhere near. <laughs> and, oh,
1: they, it just uh, he just kind of snaps his wrist yeah, like, exactly. oh, hey, like, oh, hey, oh, look, okay, I'm okay. free. But, that I didn't do.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess you're absolutely right. When faced with certain death, you at least take the option that might result in less death or, you know, more time to seek medical treatment if you lose a hand. I mean, yeah, because your option is that or you're just going to die there. So you you do what you got to do.
1: Yeah, for sure. The end of the movie, uh, there's an actual alternate ending, which I'm sure you've seen.
0: Yes. Uh,
1: what do you think of that alternate ending? I don't like it. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it's terrible. Uh, so for those that haven't seen it, um there's an alternate ending where we get more of Brock and Company, actually the granddaughters there too. So they see Rose uh, at the bow of the ship.
0: uh no, other end um Stern.
1: Stern, uh, so the back, so the back of the ship, and they think she's gonna jump off or something, and so they run after her. And uh, so, Brock actually gets to hold the uh, heart of the ocean before she throws it away. Um, I-, I felt it stagnant, it like really slowed down the ending when you should be wrapping up.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's the part that really hits you over the head. Like, it's funny when I was talking about this earlier, as I was talking. I had this little birdie tweeting in my head going, wait a minute, are we talking about the alternative ending right now? Because I think we are. But I think I was by accident uh, referring to the alternative ending because she says something like, Jules, you know, jewels are precious, Mr. Mr. Lovett," and then throws it. And he's just like, oh, right. and then uh, what's his face? Um, oh God, what's his name? You know, the shirt guy with the big, yeah. with the big hair. Uh, he goes, Him. that really sucks lady. <laughs> and I'm like, that doesn't give it the emotional poignancy
1: no you it know doesn't. that
0: this movie needs and there were but there were two again james cameron's credit i think there were so many wonderful scenes that ended up on the cutting room floor Did, have you watched all the deleted scenes
1: i have not seen all of them no
0: oh okay well we have to talk about one because <laughs> i can't believe i'm saying this such a nerd is it
1: extended or uh deleted this one you're, that you're referring this to this
0: one was a deleted scene it was okay. in the original script And uh, as I said earlier, I I read the script before seeing the film. So when the film ended, I remember going, because I was 14, with my mom and two close friends, and they turned to me immediately, and they were like, what did you think? And I remember saying, it was really great, but they cut out my favorite scene. And they were like, what? You just saw it. So it was hard to wrap their brains about what I was talking about, but uh, for years, my favorite scene in the script is a scene after the third class party. Uh, Rose and Jack are walking along the deck and they're drunk and they're singing Come Josephine and My Flying Machine, which is wonderful foreshadowing for later on when she's on the door and she's looking up at the stars right. doing Come Josephine. She's, mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is where this that poetic part of the story emanates from so they're they're singing hand in hands you know kind of going up and down and looking at the stars and singing that song and uh she starts getting kind of nostalgic and she's like oh i wish i could be like you jack i wish that i could just you know be like one of these stars and then and you know be be free in the sky or something like that and Uh, They see a shooting star and she says, that was a long one. And he says, you know, my, my father used to say that when you saw a shooting star, you would wish on it. And she said, I like that. And then he leans towards her and they're so close, but nothing's happened between them yet. So it's kind of an electric moment. And he says, what would you wish for? And there's a beat. And she looks at him and she says, something I can't have. And then Aww. yeah and then she's like good night Jack and thank you and she runs away to the her first class doors and back to her world and he's kind of left b- back there and he kind of goes wait Rose but she's already gone. And ah oh, I love it.
1: Did the original ending have the shooting star in the background yes. too? Cuz okay, cuz I know the alternate did. And I was trying to remember. Mm-hmm. Um that's the thing. Yeah, I I know about the shooting star scene but I I'd have to see it again to kind of remember. Um it's been so long since I watched that, you know, the the deleted stuff. Right. I know there's um there was an extended version of when Cal is looking for Rose on on the ship too after they docked on the ugh, the one that saves them. I forget its name. Cherbourg. Is it?
0: It might be Cherbourg. That's where Molly it- Brown boards.
1: Yeah. So it the, so there's an extended scene as well um the way uh, is, is different, obviously, than the theatrical release. Which, I, again, I can see why they trimmed it down. Um, yeah, I, I think I should spend like one night just kind of going back and kind of rewatching all of those, and kind of I don't know, kind of see where they they fit. And yeah, the alternate ending is like the one that really stood out. I go, yeah, that's that's probably best that they didn't have that on there.
0: <laughs> good editing choices. <laughs> you earn that Academy Very Award. Very good editing.
1: Absolutely. I feel like there was one other thing I was going about to ask you. It might have been about the ending, which we already kind of disgust um
0: while you're thinking about it may i ask you a question about the ending absolutely okay so after uh she throws the heart of the ocean with her little yelp of like "Eh!" Uh, and it falls in both versions Uh (laughs) yeah And, and you see it swirling to the bottom of the ocean floor and it segues into her lying in her bed as an old woman the eternal question is she dreaming or is she dead i think she's dead i think she's dead too yeah but a lot of people think she's dreaming.
1: Really? Yeah. Why? I,
0: I I guess they don't want Rose to die. But they they're like, but she dreams about like, you know, what what happens now that she's told the story of Jack? It's like it's gotten, you know, out and and she's it's cathartic and now she's dreaming about it. And I'm like,
1: Meh. no, so, I I, I, I think um, well the the setting, you know, she's back on the Titanic. She's above it right now. You know, she throws the, it's, 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 it's kind of one of those things where, um, she got her closure. You know, she throws right. the, the heart of the ocean back into the water and she passes away and she's with Jack. Um, I could have done without, without seeing her laying there peacefully gone like i I think just panning through the pictures would have been suffice and then we see her joining jack and company at the ship again i think i think we would have figured it out then i think that would have made more sense
0: maybe i almost wonder though if people would have been perhaps more confused by you know she she dumps it off the side and then we see pictures and then suddenly she's with jack again people would be like wait so what what happened i'm not sure they would understand the the correlation where that's going Furthermore, she ends up with Jack, which of course we're all happy about as fans of this movie. But as now, again, a grown up with my own kids, I'm like, wait a minute. So, what happened to like the guy she actually married, Calvert, and the kids? <laughs> so, she did die in this is heaven. She's not going to be with her kids? Come on. Yeah.
1: yeah. Obviously, everyone wants a happy ending because also, if you kind of, you know, take what we learned from let's say, Star Wars and the Jedi. Like, once you die, you're pretty much, like, the same form. But it wasn't until, like, later on where Lucas decided to make everyone, like, younger versions of themselves when, you know, their soul actually died or something. Like, uh, you know, like, people often get pissed off about how he added uh, Hayden Christensen right. into the end of Return of the Jedi, you know? So something like that. But, yeah, if—I think it would have been more—
0: Wait, Hayden Christensen was in the prequels, Right.
1: Right, but then they took him and replaced his uh Jedi spirit,
0: oh, oh, oh yes, yeah. you're right. I know what you're talking about now. I got confused. right.
1: so like if it was old Rose, then we're like, okay, yeah, she died, but I think people get confused because we see young Rose joining Jack, yeah, so yeah, i I, I think she died. um, but I do remember the question I wanted to ask you. Yes, could Jack have gotten on that door?
0: <sighs> okay. I have so many responses to this. You have no idea. But I'm going to try and truncate it down. So, according to James Cameron, no, he could not have fit on the door. And you know why? Because I wrote it that way and Jack had to (laughs) die. Because that's James Cameron for you. Right. Um, The Mythbusters ran this test a few years ago where they rebuilt the door and they attempted to see how long somebody, theoretically, could live Uh, on the door if it was just their weight on it you know with the frigid temperature in the water versus Mm -hmm. two people uh versus maybe they both die because it's just too cold and the conclusion the Mythbusters drew at the time and I'm underscoring at the time was that they could not both have survived on the door unless they were in a very, very specific position. And I can't remember what the, specific is, the position is now, but it was definitely not like an easy position, like, hey, lay down here and wait for help. It was definitely something ridiculous. Like, now you be on top this way and I'm gonna put my leg that way and you know, we'll wait in this weird position. Um, so if you're going by the Mythbusters, no, James was right. They couldn't have survived if both of them were on it. One of them had to sacrifice themselves. And the best bet for the sacrificial lamb was to keep his or her upper body as much out of the water as possible. So there's that. However, I think it was maybe a few weeks ago that I read something and I wish I could remember my source now, but I guess somebody retested it. And they took the Mythbusters thing into question. They they knew about that test and said, no, they didn't do something right in terms of the calculations. And then they redid the test and said, actually, Jack could have lived. And yes, and here's how. So it, it's been refuted. So it's very controversial.
1: Very, yeah. So what do you think? I know you yeah. said you had different takes and stuff.
0: I think that he could have fit on the door, yes. I do worry that it would have sunk in it just enough that they would have been immersed in water and maybe killed yeah. them both so right. I think the best option and and again not remembering what this latest article said would have been for them to almost like take shifts like he's in the, in the water for a while trying to keep as much of his upper body out as possible and then after five minutes they switch and she goes for a swim and, and he comes up and takes a break um and, and even that I'm not sure. I'm like maybe that would just make them both too cold and they would both die. I'm not positive, but that's the best I could come up with.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think um from the images I have seen, uh I've, I've seen all types, and uh I feel physically he could fit, but the buoyancy, uh, absolutely. I think they both would have been um just wet enough that they both probably would have died from hypothermia, right? You know, pneumonia, and all of the above. Unfortunately. Um,
0: but apparently, the secret was to be drunk. By the way, just so you know, like people who survived yep. the Titanic sinking was to, they were very drunk because their alcohol levels made them so, so that they were just uh, warmer in the water.
1: Exactly. That that way, they couldn't freeze. Kind of like yep. you can't freeze alcohol. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting. But you're you're absolutely right. Uh, kind of like uh, I don't know if you know this is a thing, but when people go snowboarding, they they often drink. Skiing and snowboarding, they like to have yeah. a little little drink. Yeah. Kind of keep more, you more you warm. Know. Yeah. So, uh, I know you guys do like a letter grading on your guys' show, which yes. I, I think is uh, going to be um, pretty easy to kind of guess. But mm-hmm. what I've been doing lately on this show, uh, I bring up the Rotten Tomato score and the IMDb, and we kind of figure out who we think is more, you know, kind of got it right. I guess to say, not not I like not it. saying we're disagreeing with both of them, but um, IMDb has the movie at a 7.7 out of 10, and Rotten Tomatoes has it uh, fresh with 88%. Which do you agree with more?
0: So before you gave me the Rotten Tomatoes score, I I took in the IMDb score and I thought, kind of low. If it were me, I'd give it like an 8.9. And then you gave me the 88% Rotten Tomatoes score. So I mean, hello, I'm aligned with Rotten Tomatoes.
1: I am too. And I'm just going to go with the 88 because it's like 88 miles per hour. So I'm (laughs) sure people will get that reference. Yeah. So it's perfect. Um, I agree. I love this movie. It's one of my favorites for sure. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for coming on, you know, giving us a history lesson on some things as well.
0: You're most welcome. And I'm sorry, I was just such this like, I don't even know, like a cauldron bubbling over of information that oh. nobody ever wanted to know.
1: <laughs> I want to know. I mean, that's the point of this, right? This, this podcast. Somebody's going to download it and they're going to want to hear the stuff that you told. Oh, so that's appreciate so that.
0: special. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me.
1: No problem. Do you have any other thoughts? Uh, anything that uh, we might have skipped over? Like any favorite scenes you wanted to kind of just bring up real quick?
0: I mean, I have so many different favorite aspects of this movie. If you are ever having a sad day or a bad day or just you you need a pick me up i highly recommend watching the movie from the point of the first class dinner like we already discussed through the third class party and up into the i'm flying scene and then just leave it then then you can leave it alone you don't have to sit in front of the movie for the entire three hours 14 minutes i said 17 earlier 14 minutes of runtime but just that maybe 20 minute chunk and I, I defy you to continue to be pessimistic about life because it's just such a such a, a sweet and romantic love story and and not to say that in this modern day era that romance is dead. I'm not that cynical, but there was just something so I don't know if pure reticent is the right word, but. Really, really romantic, like capital R and lowercase r, about that era that doesn't exist today. So it's it's just really, really cool. That's my favorite kind of chunk of the movie.
1: Yeah, it's really hard to pick just the one. But me, you know, who loves time travel and uh, and history, I really love how uh, you know to kind of take a phrase that I've you know heard from Quantum Leap, but James Cameron does this thing, you know, where this movie he gives it like a, a kiss with history where he sprinkles little things that were, you know, accurate to what had happened. Um, you know, things that we've seen in photographs or or maybe not paintings, but I guess just photographs. You know, um, I remember like uh, the kid playing with a top with his dad or something like that. Yes. I, I remember that photograph and you see that in the background. So things like that, you know, that I really appreciate and um, I guess some of the images from the 1985, um you know, discovery of the Titanic uh, underwater, like some of the uh, things that they found there, he incorporated into the movie, like the little girl's doll, like I think, you know, what was one. So all of that, uh, I really appreciate that, that touch and trying to, um you know, give it that sense of, I'm going to screw up the word, but it's kind of like the word for like, just trying to be accurate and naturalistic. Inacru- yeah. No, that's not it.
0: You can make up words, I'm Town.
1: Sure. Okay, I made that one <laughs> up. So <laughs> so that. I I just really appreciate that cuz you know the uh, obviously our main group of people are are fake. I think Molly Brown, Bruce Ismay and
0: Thomas Andrews,
1: Mr. Andrews, yeah, those are the three that have the biggest roles that are real people, and the the captain, I guess. But for the for like the main people are uh, are all you know fiction. So it he easily could have like not incorporated any of this stuff, but the man did his his homework, and I appreciate him for that.
0: I totally agree.
1: So that wraps up our review of Titanic. Hopefully, everyone enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed talking about it. You know, I thought that maybe it'd be cool to do a three hour episode, but you know, that's kind of long. It's kind of long.
0: We could have, we could have like live tweeted this where we just watched it and like live tweeted it and recorded the podcast live, but then I think we'd have like six listeners. So there's that. Yeah.
1: Oh, hey, watch. Her hand's going to pop up on the window. So, yeah, (laughs) it's coming. Uh, So that's it. So, Chrissy, once again, uh, just a reminder to the listeners uh, about your guys' show and where they can find your content.
0: Where can't they find our content, Peter? We're everywhere. We're making people sick because they're sick of us. You can find us uh, at um, the Movie Geek Cast on on Twitter. That's like how most people find us, actually. And then from there, they see our link to iTunes and Stitcher and Podbean. And um, if you can't find us using the hashtag Movie Geek Cast or at Movie Geek Cast, just search So I Married a Movie Geek on Google, and we are the first thing that pops up
1: yeah and you know it's cliche to say it, but you guys have a great show um you guys are what do they call it called? Well, what what do the kids call it relationship goals you know <laughs> you and justin it's um I think we are all jealous that you guys have built in uh, you know chemistry uh, you know, you guys are always there together when a lot of other shows you know they struggle to find a regular co-host so uh, it's definitely worth your time and it's uh it's a joy to listen to you talk about movies that we grew up watching and then you just happen to miss it like how did you miss this one uh, so that's always fun to listen
0: thank you for the compliment by the way that is the that is a super cool thing to hear and coming from somebody like you whom we appreciate and we love your podcast as well uh, it means a lot so thanks for saying that
1: yeah well thank you uh, thank you guys for uh you know the continued support um but for the listeners if you guys want to find me on twitter or instagram it's at podstalgic um i'm part of the Corten parts podcast network so if you visit our site CortenParts.com, parts.com you can find uh, podstalgic we got five this is my other show uh amongst other shows that you know we have a little bit of uh, something for everyone. We got a official TV podcast where I recently wrapped up the Walking Dead coverage with my good buddy Dave from Super Movie Bros. Uh, you know, someone that you know there, Chrissy. Yeah, and um, yeah, just. You can find all of my content. Uh, I always upload it onto the Facebook page. So that could use a few more likes and any iTunes reviews is much appreciated. And if you got a couple of minutes, go over to, uh, So I Married a Movie. You can give them a a review as well. That really help out both shows and visibility. So, uh, I guess that's it. Chrissy, thanks again for, for joining in. We'll have to have you back.
0: It would be my pleasure.
1: Real quick. I heard you, you guys watched Titanic (laughs) 2. Now, yeah. Justin told me it's not worth my time. No, it's After not. After spending a little bit of time with me. Okay, so you agree. It's not I agree. worth my time.
0: I agree. It's disappointing. And and that's coming from a super fan, both of the actual feature and of the history. But it, it's just super disappointing. Maybe if it were just a 10-minute foray into YouTube, I'd feel better about it because what the hell? It's 10 minutes. But oh, no, to sit there and watch this whole direct video monstrosity come to life is just disappointing. <laughs>
1: Yikes. Okay. All right. I will definitely take your word on it. I will not watch it. So, um, I want to thank everyone again for checking out the episode and uh, spending your time with us. So, for Chrissy, I'm Peter. Uh, Thank you guys for listening.
0: Every night in my dreams, I see you. I feel you. That is how I know you. far across the distance and spaces between us you have come to show you. Thank you for listening to the Court Parts Podcast Network. To listen to more Court Parts shows, visit quartemparts.com.